Hey, yo, we about to tear it up. It's the Breaking Atoms podcast. We break things down to the very last compound. My name is Summit, aka the Potty Mouth of the South. My name is Chris Mitchell, aka the Actual Factual. Actual Factual. This is the, this is the actual facts. We got a legend on the podcast today. We only deal with legends, man. Come on. Come on. This is this is this is one that I know you and you know. Thank you for organizing this one. But this is one I know particularly is close to heart. This is a, this is a movement. This is a hip-hop movement that has, has spanned decades, you know. Yep, 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 yep. We've got one of the architects, the, the direction. Mastermind. The mastermind. We've got yeah. Domino. Come on Pyro. now. Come on now. Let me just say that again. We've got Domino from mm-hmm. Hieroglyphics. Yep. Breaking Atoms podcast. I'm saying this and I'm smiling. Um, I, I often say I'm a Wu-Tang baby and I'm a Hyro adult. So it's, it's, it's just amazing that he took the time out of his day to, you know, chop it up with us and kind of give us some insight into some of our favorite songs. And, you know, he put, he put a lot of perspective on the yeah. music that we've come up listening to. And, um, yeah, shout out to OC because, you know, he, he contacted us off the back of the OC no, interview. Definitely. Definitely. Um, was big enough OC. I saw my little my little opening. You know what I mean? So I said, "Yeah, come on the come on the podcast." He's like, "Anytime." I said, "Pow!" <laughs> no, this this is this is a real good one. We we talk obviously uh, a lot about hieroglyphics, souls, um, some really instrumental people in 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 making that movement a success. What it is, um, we talk about production. Um, we talk about um, songs. We talk about uh, Dell. I mean, Dell. Man, there's some great stories about Dell in this one. Mm-hmm. Um, Dante Ross, mm-hmm. so much to unpack in this episode. This is Domino on the Breaking Atoms podcast. Check it out. We have a special guest, another one. The run continues. Uh, this time we go all the way to the Bay, the High Row, Souls. There's history here, there's production here, Domino effect. Let's just go there. It's the Domino effect. This is the run we're on, right, Chris? Yeah, the domino effect, right? And we've got my man Domino all the way from the West Coast on the Breaking Outs podcast. How you doing, my man? I'm doing well, man. Thanks for having me. We appreciate you and your time. Um, be safe out there. I saw all the news about the the fires. It's crazy. And I know that I know that I know the temperature is mad. Like the, it's crazy temperatures out there at the moment. Yeah, it's, it's super hot. There's fires everywhere, smoke everywhere. Yeah, it's 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 like Armageddon is beginning. Yeah, you got you got COVID content with like how is everyone doing with like how, how have you been dealing with the family like mentally how are you guys dealing with that now you got the fires it's crazy right? It's you know it's you know it's a lot to to deal with the hardest thing for me is uh, you know the homeschooling stuff you know because the kids aren't going to school so you know you got to be on Zoom and my son is autistic and he doesn't really react he doesn't like to interact that way you know even when I'm on the road. Like I can barely get anything other than him looking in the camera and saying hi, or he'll walk off. He's just not, that's just not how he's used to interacting. And so basically I have to sit the whole time with him you know, during the whole schooling to make sure he's still focused and paying attention. And so it's like, I'm in school too. And it's, 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 it's you know, I gotta be, it takes a lot of patience. And so no, definitely. I just, I just got off that right now before I called. And so. Um, yeah, it's, it's, that's, shoot, it, to be honest with you, that's the hardest part of all this so far. 
No, fair, fair. Um, I, I've just had a little one, so I've got some time before we get to school, but I can see yeah. it, it, it takes a lot. It, it, you know, it's a lot. So, um, yeah, now credit to you. Um, the other thing I would say is congrats on Hyro uh, Day. Um, the documentary was dope. Amazing. Uh, I'm sure we'll talk about it later. It was amazing. Like, it was emotional because it's like, it was a great thing to... One, it was great to have it on Sway's universe, right? Because Sway's, you know, it's, he's, he's the legend, right? But then, like, to go through the stories and, and the way it was done... Um, it, no, it was amazing. I love how everyone tried to sidestep the uh, the soul's first name. That was amazing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so no, that that was great. So congrats on that, um, Chris. How about we kick off with the first question? Yeah, let's let's do this. Um, let's go back to the beginning. Um, I think you come from a, a very musical household. Tell me about some of the earliest memories you have of listening to music at home, and what some of the the key songs and albums were that you heard in the house. Well, it all starts with the Beatles. My mom was a super, super big time Beatles fan. And so that was pretty much my first musical kind of influence and where I was bombarded with that. Um, And a lot of Stevie Wonder as well. Those are like the two earliest kind of uh, memories. And for some reason, one of my earliest visual memories was the album cover to Music of the Mind. And so, um, that cover, I just always remember uh, looking at that cover a lot when I was, who knows, four or five. And, um, and, 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 you know, and then I think in me and my cousin used to write our own songs, but they were basically a bunch of Beatles-esque songs, you know, and we used to like, you know, I, I don't know, sing them and play the music with our mouths, even though it was beatboxing back then, it was just like, nah, 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 you know, that type of stuff, you know? And so that was like kind of my early, earliest musical output that was directly influenced by the Beatles. My dad has a tape of it somewhere. I gotta see wow. if I can get that from him of, of like, he like recorded some of the songs. But anyway, <laughs> I mean, we're like five or six years old, so I'm sure they sound like five or six year olds singing songs, but. That was my earliest. Uh, and then, uh, you know, a lot of Earth, Wind & Fire was another uh, one that I was very memorable to me. And so those three groups, the Beatles, Stevie Wonder, and Earth, Wind & Fire were, were kind of the three that stuck with me the most um, when, as my earliest. And also my dad is a musician. He was with a group um, that came out of the CBGB scene in the, in the late 70s. They were called Mink DeVille. They had, they were signed to Capitol. They had like a, you know, they had a, a the first album did pretty well. So they have kind of a cult following. They're not like a, you know, they weren't like Blondie and didn't get, or the Sex Pistols that didn't get, or uh, get, or the, I meant the Ramones. They didn't get, you know, they came out of that same scene. But my, uh, Mink DeVille, my dad's group was a little bit more of a bluesy rock as opposed to punk. And so, um yeah, and so that was, I had, you know, seeing, being involved, you know, my dad was involved with that and going to the shows, that was probably a, a influence on me as well. Okay, all right. So following uh, your Beatles, your Stevie Wonders and whatnot, how did you first get into hip-hop? I heard Rapper's Delight on the radio was, wow. the, was, okay. was the thing that, that uh, which I, you know, I guess is really officially as far as recorded is the, was the mm-hmm. beginning. And so, yeah, they played, I used to listen to, um, uh, you know, like a soul urban station um, uh, called K Soul, <laughs> and 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 um and they and, you know so they would play a lot of like Rick James into like Rick James and like all that stuff, um, cameo and it was they would just play you know whatever was the the hits at the time and then 
they started playing Rapper's Delight. Michael Jackson, Off the Wall album, I remember. And so, yeah, and so like I was buying 45s and then that was the first, you know, where I delved into rap. But I think the, 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 the song that really kind of made me kind of really obsessed with, with, with hip hop was, was the message. Like I, I was really into Rapper's Delight and I knew the whole 15, 15 minute rap by heart, you know, the, the long version. Mm-hmm. But, it, but I think the message was something that was the song that I was like, wow, like this is it, you know. And so that was the song that really, where I, where I was like, this is my music now, mm-hmm. you know. Because when I was listening to Rappers Delight, I was listening to that in the midst of, you know, Parliament and right. Cameo and Rick James and stuff. So it wasn't, it wasn't, I wasn't just like, it was just one part of what was out at that time. And so when the message came out, I was like, oh yeah, you know, we're going to do, you know, hip hop is the way, you know. Gotcha. Sumit has a question about your, your entry into the production field. So do you, what was the first sampler that you bought? And do you remember the first sample you ran through? Was it a parliament? Was it, was it, was it a sample that they did? Um, the first, you're talking about the first thing I sampled? So the first thing you sampled and the first sampler you bought. Do okay. you remember? Well, the first sample that I possessed, there was a there was a device called a SK1, which was like a little small sampler that had like 1.3 seconds of sampling time. Wow. And my friend, who at the time um, he, he 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 had bought it, and he used to just sample his voice, and he would walk around going bitch, 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 or you know, whatever, you know, some obnoxious, hey, bitch, hey, bitch, you know, shit like that, you know, so, so this was probably like in, you know, uh, late 80s, and so this, it was literally one point second, there was another partner of ours, a guy named Jason Melton, and he, he was, he used to do, at this point, we're doing songs, but it was before sampling, we basically used to rap over, I used to rap, and I used to, we, me and my partners used to rap over like instrumentals of other, other songs. And so somehow the sampler got in his hands and he decided, let me sample something. And he sampled like a beat off of it, like off of an electro record and basically sped it up 45 so he can get more of it than 1.3 samples and then use the it was one of the ones where each key was was would be slower and, and faster how, depending on what octave you were in and so he basically sampled it and he slowed it down and was, so it sounded like wow. a and I was like how the fuck did you get that out of that you know He's like oh I did this and so he showed and so at that point I'm just rapping and then we we realized that well, we need a sampler that's a little that gives us a little bit more than 1.3 seconds. And so I was at the time I was fresh out of high school and I had a job and I saved up and, and ended up buying a Casio FZ 10M, which is a rack mount sampler. There's an FZ1, which is the kind of the keyboard version of it. And this had up to 29 seconds of sampling time. And so as I'm, we're working together still and I'm rapping, but as I, after I got this sampler, I became more obsessed with production, a little less interested in rapping. And so, so that's when, that's kind of when I really started kind of focusing on sampling. I don't really remember the first thing I sampled. Um, 
off that sample, to be honest with you, I don't remember what was the first thing. Um, it might have been superstition, <laughs> you know, something yeah, yeah. very common, but I don't really remember exactly. And this sampler took me up through, and I don't want to get ahead of the interview, but like basically I was using this sampler on, on 93 Till Infinity and Fair Self and stuff. Right. Dope, dope. So what are some of your, your favorite or fondest memories from the Groove Merchant record store? Just constant music, man. You know, co constant learning about new music. And because I had the room, I, you know, I rented out their storeroom, basically. You know, I was lit. And what they would do is, is, is every when they used to come in, they used to open the door. And so the door would be open or cracked. And I would just, they'd be, you know, I'd hear all this music all day. I'm like, what the hell is that? And I'd go out and be like, what the hell is that? Oh, I need to get that. And then buy it or whatever. And, and, and so it's so funny is that every once in a while he'd forget to lock the door. And then I'd be in there in the middle of the night, like taking records and sampling them and putting them back and stuff. But um, yeah, you know, it was just like, it was like being in school, you know, it was a constant learning experience about music because at that point, everything that I had sampled was pretty much from like the parents or my partner's parents record collection, which was more of the mainstream stuff, which was like, you know, the Isley Brothers and Earth, Wind and Fire and CB Wonder and a few, you know, a few other things, but it was mostly pretty common things you know but this was like a like learning about music like all this music that i didn't know about or hadn't heard and and it was i mean it's probably had a lot to do with it definitely had a lot to do with the fact that that i was producing what i was producing because i was hearing this stuff that i probably wouldn't have heard otherwise mm. Mm. so i can imagine being at that record store you know, a load of customers in and out the door. But one of your your most famous customers was a gentleman by the name of Dante Ross. What can you remember about the day you met Dante Ross? And for those for those who don't know who Dante Ross is, just for the benefit of the listeners, Dante Ross is a legendary A&R responsible mm -hmm. for signing Dell, uh, Brand Nubian, KMD, all these acts that we grew up listening to. What can you remember about the day that Dante Ross came into the store? I remember... Uh... I remember him being told by the owners that I made music and I came out and, 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 and um, talked to him, but he was kind of like, you know, yeah, whatever kind of, and it wasn't like super dismissive. He was talking to me and stuff, but I don't think he didn't think much about it. And then, and then we started to talk about records, you know, and he used to come a lot because his his father lived in the he his father lived in San Francisco. In addition to the fact that the Gavin Convention, which was kind of a notable music convention from a music publication, the Gavin Magazine, um, was every year there. And so he used to come. And I don't really remember if we hit it off initially, but I think like maybe the second time he was there, he came into the back room. We were talking about records. We had a lot of, we had a similar taste and we bonded off of a group called the Nightlighters, which okay. was, uh, okay. which basically was New Birth, New Birth's backing band who had their own records that even actually came out before New Birth or around the same time. And, um, and he had sampled them for Brand Nubian. Uh, 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 I forgot what song, Drop the Bomb, I believe was a, 
was a was a uh, and so we kind of bonded and then I started playing in beats and he he started to dig he dig what he was hearing and that's kind of how it happened but really the bond we bonded over records common interests in records okay Sumit was telling me um that Dante Ross has a, a really a particular way of taking notes is that is that is that correct or Sumit what how, how, how detailed are Dante Ross's notes when it comes to, <laughs> I'm not sure. Like I, that's the first I've heard of that. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know anything about Dante Ross and his taking of notes. I haven't. We, me and Dante are really close to this day, and I don't really uh, know about that. So I have to ask him. Okay, we've got to get Dante Ross on the show then. Working on it. Um, mm -hmm. The sound of Hyro back in the day, like it felt connected mm -hmm. to native tongues, but you had your own movement. How would how would you characterize the sound of Hyro? Um, I think I think that it definitely was rooted in a lot of stuff coming out of the East Coast. It had a it but it had a West Coast certain West Coast elements because that was the guys they were we were all from the West Coast so we kept that. But I think if you want to talk about the direct influences, they're definitely mostly East Coast stuff. And so Tribe, of course, and Dela, and, and, and pretty much everything that was coming out of the East, East Coast. But I think the aesthetic was most kind of native tongue derivative, um, a lot of jazzy samples, um, you know. But I think like the, 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 the lyricism, I think they, it was more of a KRS-One battle kind of we're going to be the best MC mentality, which wasn't necessarily the native tongue angle you know what i mean like yeah. and so i think it had a little bit of the kind of quirkiness and fun of the native tongues but as far as the attitude about lyricism of like krs1 and, and rock him and i know they were big chill rob g fans who's very underrated mc i know that that casual in particular was really they used to listen to a lot of chill rob g but it, we used to listen to everything but there's a lot of that that kind of lyrical dexterity kind of attitude was definitely derivative of that. But the other things, I think, you know, so it was a mix. It was definitely a, a, a gumbo of a lot of things coming out of the East Coast. Okay. And then, like, thinking about, like, your memories or thinking back at making uh, What A Way To Go Out and uh, we got it like that. What, are you, what do you remember uh, of those kind of sessions and, and, and those records? Um, some of them were demoed, right? And so there were some songs that we kind of did on four-track demos before. I mean, if you're talking about the 93 Till Infinity album, that's, uh, that's we demoed some of them. The first production that I ever did, though, was on a B-side for Dell. It was uncredited. It was uh, the song Eye Examination, which he did the bass, the, the meat of the beat, because he had demoed it, right? Right. And then what happened was when he decided that we were going to make, he was going to put that as a recorded in the studio to make it a B-side of one of the 12 inches. I can't, I set up the studio and, and cause he was looking for a studio. Oh, I can find one. And, and then, and then I basically came in and added a bunch of little elements to what he had done. And it was basically like the vocals, the vocal pieces in the hook, 
drum rolls leading into thing. I did a, a drum break here and there. The night lighters that sample it, you know, I just play the record at the end of the, like a bunch of those things are the elements that I added. So that was my first actual production that made it on record. It was basically adding, co-producing what Dell had basically started and demoed initially. And so that was the first thing. And also, you know, that's, and you know, when I found that studio, it was just kind of like looking through the phone book and calling and they were the ones that first returned my call. And it turns out that that forged the long relationship we had with Hyde Street Studios and Matt yeah. Kelly, who was our engineer for, for many years, was based, it was basically, a sh you know, it was basically not, fluke isn't the word, but it was just, a, a, that's just how it ended up. You know what I mean? It yeah, wasn't yeah. planned. It just was like, oh, they returned my call and they had an open time and we went there and Matt happened to be the DJ. I mean, yeah, the, the yeah, engineer. That's amazing. Cause if you follow on to the next question, you it's, it's a great, it's a great segue. You should do, you should do <laughs> podcasting. I'm telling you. Yeah, on, Chris. It's, it's crazy. I, I went to, I went to uh, San Jose for a couple of weeks, uh, a few years ago and we were in Oakland for a day and me being the crazy nerd. I, I remember saying to my guy, we got to find Hyde street. Like I was in Oakland yeah. for a day, but we got to find Hyde street. I've just done a song called the liner notes. And I mentioned yeah. Hyde Street among, you know, I mentioned Hyde Street, Power Play, Patchwork, because I just know that so many, so many classics were made there because of you. And on my list, I've got Matt Kelly. I don't know, uh, I don't know much about him, um, but I know mm -hmm. he's key to your story. What is, what's his personality like and what's his working process? Uh, Matt, Matt was just easygoing, you know what I mean? Like he was definitely you know, easy to deal with. He, he, he allowed us to, to do what we kind of wanted to do. He basically facilitated the things that we kind of wanted, even when we didn't know what the hell we were doing, which he probably would have been better suited, you know, telling us, don't, no, don't do that. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But yeah, he's really easygoing. Um, you know, he, 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 um, you know, he, 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 we basically learned a lot about each other, which allowed it in later times to, to be a lot easier because he kind of knew all the different nuances. He knew how A plus worked. He knew how I worked. He knew how casual worked. And so I think that he was able to kind of like make things easier because he kind of knew going in after we had done a few songs, okay, this is kind of how Domino operates. This is how, and you know, but Matt was pretty, pretty, you know, easy going. He also, you know, as we get long later along, he had a lot to do with us kind of being able to bust out and 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 do some indie and when we did when we got off labels he was a big part of helping us kind of find our footing you know and mm -hmm. so he's had a he's had a long I mean he's like family you know what I mean he's been down with us for that long and you could see a lot of people know him because we shouted him out on a lot of songs and he got a lot of work off of you know, his association with us and he's, he's, you know, but by his own right, he, you know, he, he did his own thing. He worked with Tupac and digital and, you know, many other, other artists as well. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, you know, Matt, Matt, you know, he's, I still consider him a good friend and um, he definitely added a lot to, mm -hmm. you know, what we were doing, you know, at the time, like most of the thing, whatever he was doing to during, you know, to get the sound, you know, I don't know how he was, you know, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't know methods at all at that point. And so it was just like, I would just explain to him, like, I want it to sound like this. Or sometimes I couldn't even explain it. And I'd be like, it, that just ain't right. You know what I mean? And so yeah. somehow it was like this kind of 
mental telepathy going on to where we would try to get, I would try to be able to express what I was trying to get out, even though I didn't have the terminology or I didn't know how to say it, you know, mm. and ultimately, you know, he would be able to figure out, you know, how to make it happen for us. Yeah. No, so, shout, yeah. shout out to him. Shout out to him. He's, he's so important. You mentioned yes. the fact that he, he offered some support when you guys made the transition from major to in. Um, I know this might be a bit of a personal question, but it's something that's always been in the back of my mind and I wanted to ask. When you found out about the deal situation, um, where were you and how did you process that news that, okay, Jive and Electra didn't work out? But what was your mind state when you heard that news? Well, it happened in, it wasn't all at once, right? So first the souls got dropped. You know, they basically before their second album uh no man's, no man's land, land mm. dropped we knew that they were they were going to drop us so even before the album came out they they that had already it was clear that because because i remember we were trying to get help for touring and 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 i'm even the booking agent says hey they're not even putting nothing behind you guys on this so we knew that was happening then about i don't know um uh, not long after that um Castle got dropped and it, that was like you know it was just kind of like he was he went out there for a while and we went to New York and I don't know they just I don't know they just basically didn't believe in him and or you know basically since souls were gone I don't know what the story is then they happened to drop drop um casual so at that time Dell is still signed and Dante Ross is a and r still right and so Dante is about to leave and he says, look, I'm going to pick up Dell's option on this third record. Um, just but, you know, like, but I'm not going to be involved in it, but I, I'm going to at least get get it started. So you get some money in your pocket. And we'll see what happens with the next regime, which is Sylvia Rohn was the. And so basically our plan was. In OK, in the in the meantime, cats are still doing songs. Right. And so what I did was. I, um, and, and okay, but I guess I'm getting off on your question. At that point, I was, I, what I thought was, I was already frustrated because I also managed them at the time, right? I was managing them all, producing, you know, and so I was in the midst of everything. And, and, and when they got dropped, I, I felt like maybe this is for the best because I didn't feel that, that we were in sync about what we were the direction we wanted to go with our music right i felt like they wanted souls to be you know they were still trying to push for cab fare on the second album and 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 so they were still looking for a certain type of sound and it was different than what we wanted and so when they got dropped i felt like hey this is an opportunity for us to kind of get control of our of our sound and our music. And maybe what we can do is we can come out, go indie, and then at least have show that we can do things on our own. And then if we get another deal, which was the ultimate goal, then we'll have more leverage to say, hey, we want things to go our way. We wanna be in control of the marketing promotion because we didn't agree with how things had transpired with Jai. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, we're doing demos, like demo songs, just cats are still doing music, right? And what I did was, and, and Dell still signed. And so what I did was I compiled a bunch of these songs on 
a, a CD or, or on a cassette. You know, and so there was like, and some of them were songs that that you may, you've heard of. Uh, After Dark was one of them. Um, a bunch of uh, souls had a song called Groove Tonight. There was a bunch of songs. Uh, uh, See the Light was one of them, which came with. So there's a bunch of songs, and I said, and I gave everyone a copy. I said, look, man, we could, we should come out as a unit first, and then you know, like you know, because you know, at that point, everyone had been individuals, and so I said. Let's, this could be a hieroglyphic album. And I played and I gave these cassettes to everybody and everybody's like, yeah, could, you know, this is tight, you know? And then I went to Matt Kelly's and I played at him and I said, look, this is what we want to do. We want to make this Hyrule Crew album as a way to springboard us getting our deals back. And what we were going to do was, the plan was Dell is still signed. We're going to use his juice and the lecture juice to to promote his third album, but we're gonna, he's gonna talk about the Hyro album. And we're gonna talk about this indie record. We're gonna hijack the whole promotion. Right? That's the plan. <laughs> and so that's the plan. So we're making a Hyro album. And then Dell is also recording his third album, which was called Future Development, right? And so we get halfway through Future Development and Sylvia, so, oh, shoot, we probably were more than halfway because we had a lot of, we had enough songs for a full album. And so Sylvia Roan comes to town and we have a meeting with her. And so, you know, she's, she listened to the stuff that we had done so far. And, you know, she goes, hey, you know, I, I think it might help if we, and so it's me, Dell, and her. And, and, and she said, hey, you know, I think it might help if we, you know, try to get some outside production. And 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 to help with this record, and then Del, are you guys open to that? And Del goes, yeah, yeah, I'm probably open to that. <laughs> and she goes, well, I was thinking like Jermaine Dupree, and 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 Del instantly said, oh, hell no. That was Del's response. Oh, hell no, Jermaine Dupree. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and she named another like mainstream, and he was like, oh, you know. And so basically, I think that response deaded. She was like, oh, okay, he wants to do. I think he might have named like large professor and and eric sermon as who it was more where he wanted to go and i think she realized that we were trying to do something different than what she envisioned and so then we got a letter in the mail that said that he was dropped right and so at that point we had recorded a bunch of good songs for and so i said shit let's add these to the pot of what we could do for the high row record so we're, you know, again, we're working on the high record as this is going. And so basically we, we took off. Um, there's, I'll tell you all the songs that, that made it onto the high record, third eye vision that were originally future development. So, I mean, future development songs. I love this kind of stuff. Oak, Oak, Oakland blackouts Oof. Wow. was for future development at the helm Oof. was for future development. Um, um, no nuts was for future development, okay. although it was just a Dell song. We didn't put Pep on it until after. we. And then there's one more that um, didn't make the cut of the album was a song, but it was in the running, was a song called, uh, uh, it was a casual and Dell song that Trey produced. It was called, uh, I, shoot, I can't think of it off the top of my head, but, it's, but it was, uh, so there was those four songs that, 
basically were originally Dell third album songs that would have been on feature development that we put, we felt like were either the best songs or like Oakland Blackouts had more than Dell. So we mm. felt like At The Helm made it because we felt it was such a strong song. It's just a Dell song. Mm. But the other ones were, were like, oh yeah, you know, Oakland Blackouts was already had two people. And then, um, and then No Nuts, we thought it was strong and we just wanted to add. So we added Pep to that. Okay. And so basically, those got added to the pot, and then we continued on with the the, the making of Third Eye Vision. I, I just want to, you know what? It's just crazy hearing these stories. Third Eye Vision is, I don't, I know it's a word that's overused, but it's a classic album, man. It's so, I bought it twice. Yeah. I bought the album yeah. twice. Um, I was going to buy it for a third time because I know you reissued it um, for the 20th anniversary. Yeah. I was actually going to buy it again, but then, you know, I just thought to myself, no, you need to calm down. Um, talking <laughs> yeah. about talking about you know the process of putting Third Eye Vision together, um, I think of Wu Tang, and the reason why I think of Wu Tang is I've always been interested to find out what's the process in terms of selecting who goes on what song and in what order. So, for example, why is Casual not on You Never Know? That's always that's been something that's been bugging me for years. <laughs> Well, the, okay. The story behind you never knew, and 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 um, is casual didn't really dig the song. He didn't dig the beat, wow. and that's why he wasn't originally on it. And then to be honest with you, there's a version that doesn't have the initial, the original version has extra prolific Snoop from extra prolific what? on it. So in the Ooh. beginning of recording Third Eye Vision, he was still down with us, Ooh. and then what happened was when there was a problem and we fell out with him, we basically, Snoop was replaced by Tajay and Opio. So Snoop had a verse in that, in that window where Tajay and Opio was. And, you know, I, you know, I don't know if A plus wants me to say this, but I think that once Casual said he didn't feel that song, A plus made it a point to, to make sure that he didn't get back on it. And I, I'm not <laughs> saying that Casual was trying to, but I remember, a plus was a little like, oh man, you know, like felt felt like you're tripping kind of thing. And it wasn't, you know, it wasn't no hate or nothing. It was just like, well, you didn't like it, so don't like it now, kind of yep. kind of vibe. Yeah. And so so basically that the little the, the Tajay and Opio part, which are shorter, shorter verses than the other guys, it used to they were two person fitting in the space of an old extra prolific verse. Mm. And so that's that that's 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 how the song initially was. Okay. And so yeah, that's that's why casual wasn't it. Initially, it wasn't him, Tajay, or Opio were on the song. And so, that's and so crazy that's because it's a sig it's a signature high yeah, yeah. yeah. signature. Well, well, I think yeah, it ended up being that way because yeah, and then I think that it was great that that they because it got more members and pretty much it's almost a it is other than casual a whole crew song. You're right about that. I don't, you know, again, it's like, you know, at that point, you're not, you don't really envision what songs will become. And so, you know what I mean? I think that, you know, we didn't realize it would become a staple at that point. So where we go, we got to get everyone on it. It wasn't that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to answer your other question, I don't know if there was a, 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 a rhyme or reason about how people got on songs. I think a lot of it was based on um, just who was at the studio when a certain beat was being played. Um, and so like, for instance, like, you know, I remember, uh, let's see, let me think about that first album. Uh, 
there's there's songs that um like all things was a demo song that opio and 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 pep happened to be at my house that day like the beat they started writing you know what i mean and so that's generally how it happened what we ended up doing later on though is we really considered on how who was represented on the records as far as how the record was sequenced and also what songs went on so we we would say like, oh, we need more of so-and-so. And on the second album, I think we were a little bit more privy of like purposely putting people on songs that kind of strategically to make sure that everyone was represented. But on the first album, since so many of them were demoed already, there were songs that were done, you know, in ver various instances. See like Pep and, and Opio, that first light, you know, that was, they had that concept of that group back then and so they had a bunch of songs together see the light and all things and they were all kind of with that in mind and they were they happened to be doing a lot of songs together that's why um you know and also they opio and pep were probably at the studio more than anyone and so there, there's a that's why those guys are on a lot more than other people and so mm -hmm. but there wasn't a rhyme or reason to it it was just kind of like who felt what beat, whether they were there at the time or whether, you know what I mean? It was it was no real planning behind it. It just turned out, you know, it just turned out how it turned out. I got, I got to ask you a question. Mm -hmm. Is there ever going to be like a, I know you did the Overtime compilation, which was, you know, <laughs> some, some lesser known songs and B-sides. Is there going to be like an unreleased Hyrule compilation? But I need to hear that original version of You Never Knew. Like, just... It's, you know, I'm not sure. And in, in the, in the to be honest with you, I'm not sure. I, I probably have it, but I don't know where it is. And I have a whole box. And this is, I have a whole, I posted on Instagram. I have a, like boxes of cassettes from those days, demos, all kinds of stuff that I probably forgot is in there. And so I'm in the process of backing up a lot of that. And I'm sure at some point I'm going to find that because I never throw away anything. You know what I mean? And I do know, though, I will say this, is that I have the two inch, you know, the the, the original two inch, you know, uh, sessions from all those songs. And 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 I do know that the Snoop Snoop's verse was recorded over like there's no there's no there's no uh, you can't find it in the session. Mm -hmm. And so the only way that it does exist is is via demo, you know, cassettes that we did a rough mixes. And so. I'd have to find it because I don't recall hearing that, hearing it in a while. And so whether or not it's still around, I guess we'll know once I get through all these boxes of cassettes. Well, it's it's encouraging to know that you're you're taking on the project. Because um, when <laughs> I saw that picture, I'm like, yo, there's some, there's some stuff in there. There's some stuff in yeah. there. Yeah, there's like, you know, I know there's like, you know, unreleased souls and loonies song that was recorded while they were still signed. There's, um, yeah, I, I think I was telling somebody, I think I spoke about this on there, is that there's a, a casual, we've submitted songs for um, for uh, Menace to Society because that soundtrack was on Jive. And so there's this casual did a song called Menace to Society that, and and that did, they they rejected it, you know, but oh, we wow. have, there's a bunch of those and there's, there's probably many songs that just demo. I mean, there's all kinds of demos. Cause one thing I also did is that, I always felt like Dell never cared about like the music he did yesterday. And so I remember going to his house and helping him move at one point and took all his 
old four track and demo cassettes and said, I'm going to hold these because I felt like somehow they were just going to disappear at some point. And so a lot of the cassettes I have are also like many of the Dell stuff that he did in the early 90s demos that he was just doing in, in four track demos as well. And, mm -hmm. and so there's all kinds of gems in there. I mean, I guess at some point, some point we'll put out something but you know those hyro oldies releases yes, right. were pretty much the, the version of that where you know that was pretty much the best songs that were unreleased songs that we put out back then and True. so so most of the stuff has already been seen the light light of day um but there's probably some more stuff but i just have to go through all the cassettes yeah there's, there's, yeah see if you can squeeze out a volume three for us we'd appreciate it <laughs> yeah, um full circle Love that uh -huh. project to death. Um, a song that really, really touched me, um, Make Your Move. Mm -hmm. um, it's probably it's so soulful. Um, I, I love the remix as well. Shout out to Ninth Wonder, one of my favorite remixes. Yeah. I feel on that particular project, and I know you spoke about Opio and Pepla of having a certain chemistry, which, which brought mm -hmm. the first Light album out. But I feel casual and Pepla on that song and, and on, on, on Third Eye Vision, I think it's called The Last One. They've got a real good chemistry. Tell me about the making of Make Your Move. Like, you know, that production and the live instrumentation is beautiful. I just want to know more about that song. You know, it's a lot. This I could really go into a long story about Make Your Move because it had a lot of different, different, it took a lot of different turns. So I'll, I'll, I'll give you the... I'll give you the story. And if it's going too long, I'll, I'll, I'll go. We so have as much time as you have. <laughs> okay. The, 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 the initial story about Make Your Move, and the funny thing about that song is it's vivid when I made the beat because it was one of the rare times that Dell ever came to my house, right? And Dell, me and Dell used to live really close to each other in El Cerrito, Richmond, right? It was just outside of Oakland and, and Berkeley. And so he lived probably a half mile from me. So he used to, uh, so one day he's, he's on his, he's rolling around a scooter and he says he's coming over. And I'm like, yeah, well, okay. So I happened to be making a beat and he comes in. And I remember at the time, Dell was really, really into um, music theory. He was learning about music theory. And so as I'm making that beat, he's talking to me about music theory. And I, and I remember in my head was like, fuck theory. It's about getting on this and just making it, you know? And I thought there was kind of an irony to that. Like, I was like, I don't want to talk about theory. This is how I want to do it. You know, kind of, I was being cynical at, you know, at that moment. And so at that time, I'm making that particular beat. And that's why, why I remember it so vividly because Dell was happening to be there while I'm making the beat. And so I make the beat, I have the beat. And so... We go the next, we, when we were doing full circle, we decided to, to, to rent a house in Venice, California, in Southern California to get us away because we had made many attempts to do this next record and we just haven't been successful at home. So I said, hey, let's, let's do, you know, let's do like a lot of bands do. Let's go off away from home, stay in a house and do it. And so we get there. Not everyone goes. Dell doesn't go. Um, I think everyone else went, and there were people that were in and out, right? But, you know, and so me, I was one of the people that was there all the time. Kazer was. And so one of the first tracks that I played that people were digging was this Make Your Move track, right? And so Casual and Pep got on the song, 
and then they did it. And then the, the, um, the hook that Pep came up with was I'm like, I'm leaving on the jet plane hook. That's, you know, that, that the pre Peter, Paul and Mary song that, that I think most deaf had used on something and, and just eyes had used it. And so initially I was like, I don't like that. It's been done. You know what I mean? And I didn't like how he was saying it, but he was like, I'm leaving on a jet. You know, you, you know that, that hook. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we did the song. I liked the concept. I just didn't like the hook. And so I'm like, damn, I need to find a way to where I'm like this hook. And so I'm thinking about it and I go, okay. And then, and then, oh, I will say this. While we're in Venice, um, Amp Fiddler, I fly Amp Fiddler, who's wow. uh, a, a good, fr a great friend of mine who lives in Detroit, who played with P Funk. He has his own stuff, and so we had forged a relationship uh, earlier at a George Clinton session, and then we we stayed friends. And so I flew him from Detroit to stay with us, and so he is the one who's playing the vibraphones, which the initial loop has kind of a vibraphone in it, and I go. But, but based on, since I had chopped it, it, it was kind of, you heard it, but it wasn't really full. And so he basically found a vibraphone on his synth or whatever, and basically added it and, and embellished it with the same kind of vibe that I was getting at. And then um, a friend of mine, Merlo, um, who, who, who plays with Jack Johnson. He's played on, on a lot of, uh, on Deltron. He works with Dan Audemere a lot. I met him through Dan on the Deltron tour. He, um, he, he came, he's, he lived in LA and he came by and he added the baseline. I was like, just copy that, but you know, basically telling them what I wanted. And so he fattened up the baseline and then Amp added the, the, the vibes, right? And there was many tracks of it. So I basically, um, basically I, we left it at that point and so it was it was there at that point we we left venice and we went back in to the to the bay but we still had recording to do so we ended up going back to hyde street studios and renting out one of their rooms right and so basically i start thinking about this song again right and i'm like god i gotta find a you know a, a hook that i like you know and so basically i think well maybe it's because i don't really like how pep was singing on it so i i hit up amp filler again and i sent it to him <laughs> on the internet and i'm like can you re-sing this hook you know and so he sends it back and i'm like damn i still don't like it i just think it's because it's that hook that's been used i just don't like it next thing i do i said you know what let me call guapole and and so she's already done a bunch of songs with us already she did soweto and she did full circle which were both for that record right and so i hit her up she comes in I, I i think i send her the song first she comes in she goes oh yeah i got something for it and she lays down the hook and and the bridge that is on the song now but initially the way that she envisioned it was the the bridge was the hook and the hook was the bridge and so so wow. um, I'll do I'll do about you I'll be that was her bridge oh, and wow. that you're gonna go where you go be what you want to be yeah. that yeah. was the hook 
Right? And I have a version of that like that. And I was like, so I was listening to it. I go, I kind of dig this, but I think that that hook is too much. It kind of brought it up here yeah. and it never, it never went, it just stayed up there. And I was like, that hook, it doesn't work as a hook. And so I swapped them. I swapped the bridge, which was softer in a little bit. And I felt like the bridge should be the build, it should build to the bridge. Mm -hmm. And so basically I had, I swapped the, I swapped it and, and was like, and I remember there, it was getting some pushback. Oh, you should leave it how it is. How she, and I'm like, nah, it works better like this. And so I basically, you know, swapped the hooks and that's how it became the song that it became. And so that song <laughs> took a lot of different, you know, that, and so that's over a process of at least a year that I kept revisiting the song because I just wasn't content and and probably after she laid down the hook the way she wanted it i probably sat with that for a few weeks and was like something ain't something i didn't like about it and so luckily i i i felt that the what they had wrapped was so strong and that the, the the beat was strong that i was like i felt like i needed to make it as good as it can be and that's why it turned out the way it is i put a lot of time and effort into that thank you and, you know and pep wasn't happy that i took out his hook you know what I mean? Even to now, even now, like, you know, when we do the show live, he sings that hook, no lie. He sings that hook in the midst of it. And, and so it's like, that's how, and so Pep probably is feeling the same, like he, he visioned it a certain way and that's how he wanted it. When I was like, I'm the producer of this song, I'm doing it the way I want it. You know what I mean? It's But actually, you know, that's how- so that, much, man. Excuse me, what'd you say? I was gonna say thank you so much for persevering with that song because that song just means so much like to me. It's oh man, like, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie to you, man. You know, casuals line we goes, I'm New Guinea, New York, I need something new. I bit that in one of yeah. my verses, but I kind of flipped it. Um and to this yeah. day no one's clocked it, and I'm just like, I'm waiting for someone to ask me, is that a casual reference? I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that yeah, song. Yeah, no, that's a good song. And I think, you know, again, I think you said it. I think that the way that I think the guap lays hook that it's kind of soft and somber. You know, I think that's why, I think why it works better. The way that I put it was because that, which was initially the bridge is a little somber and then it kind of heads up to where better you feeling, you know what I mean? Like inspired, you know? And so I think the somberness is what makes the song emotional for people, you know? Mm, yeah. Um, seems like Dell's music theory <laughs> um, theory worked out with that song as well. <laughs> you swapping parts over and the build and all that. Seems like you took. Yeah, it. you know, you, maybe that you're right. Maybe I was, you know, I was soaking it up <laughs> as he was saying it because I definitely put a lot of, you know, a lot of thought about how things should go based on that song. So you might be right. I didn't even think about it like that. Well, you know, you know, I'm the actual factual. We've mentioned a lot about Dell. Dell uh -huh. is. Del is, um, he's different. And when I say different, I mean it as a compliment. Um, one of the most yeah. unique, you know what? When I think about No Need for Alarm, I often tell people Del almost reinvented himself by being more of himself. And mm -hmm. that's not an easy thing to do. I think of people like, you know, like a Sean Price and a Two Chains and how they've reinvented themselves by being more of themselves. You manage Del. Um, <laughs> What is some of the, uh, the challenges of managing someone who is so creative, right? Um, but also quite successful in business. Like how do you find that balance in terms of managing someone who 
so creative and imaginative like Adele the Funky Homo Sapien? It's hard, but, you know, it's just part of it. You know what I mean? And this is what I always say to people. I go, if it wasn't for all the quirks and all the things that for me on a straight ahead business sense that, you know, that don't make sense, um, you, you can't have one with the others, what I always say. Like, you can't have the genius without the oddities or the things that make him different, you know, which make it more difficult, you know, to handle business wise. I think you got to look that. And that's how always how I look at it. Like, you know, you can't, you can't reel that in, you know, and I think I tried initially, right. I think, cause I've managed Dell twice and it was a, it was a time where I wasn't managing him. And I think I tried a little, I tried to push him a little bit harder than he wanted to be pushed a certain way. And, you know, and I think because I was like, thinking from a practical sense and you know and so I think I realized that you you got to let geniuses be geniuses and accept their quirks accept the, the oddities and the things that don't really mix well on a business sense you know and so I kind of did that and I just you know again it, it isn't easier it isn't easy but you know it's what makes Dell Dell and so, you know, I just work around it and I definitely give him more freedom to do the things that he wants to do. So, it, you know, I think in the beginning, I think I was more like, this is what we need to do and this is how we should do it. Where now I'm like, okay, that's how you want to do it. Well, let me, what if we adjust it a little and let's go this way with it. And so I think now I kind of work around his, his wants as opposed to having him follow the things that I think are best for him. Mm -hmm. Because I think that, you know, maybe, you know, and, and, and I don't think either way is right or wrong. I just think that it's a different approach, but approaches don't work for everyone. And so you have to be able to adjust your approach based on what, what you know, you got to get the most out of them. I mean, I were, I was, to me, it was super easy for me to say, you got this Gorillas record, right? It's mm. huge. It's the biggest record in the world. They want you to go out on tour. They want you to go to the Euro MTV Awards. Dude, this is what we've been working hard for. This is the payoff. Like that makes sense to me, right? That wasn't gonna sell Dell on doing it because that's just not how he thinks. And so he was like, "Oh, I'm not emotionally in the right place for that. I'm going through some things. I don't care." And so, anyone who you're thinking like, "Hey, we've been struggling. We've been underground. Now you're about to be popped. Let's let's collect on this payoff." And it, it he didn't look at it like that. It wasn't about that for him. And so, and it was hard for me to accept at that time. It was like, what the fuck are you talking about? This is the biggest record in the world. Let's go get paid off this shit. You know what I mean? Instead yeah. of, you know, instead of our, you know, and, 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 and he just, it just not, that wasn't, a, that wasn't going to move him. Mm. And so then, you know, you realize that not everybody's the same and where most artists are, are operating because of money and fame, not Dell. De money has never been a motivator for Dell for doing anything. If he doesn't want to do it, he's not going to do it. You know, <laughs> you know, and, 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 and our, and our relationship suffered over the gorillas and how hard I was trying to get him to, to be a part of that first gorillas promotion and the accolades. And if you could see, he never went on tour with him until the last few years, mm. you know, the first, in fact, the first time he ever performed Clint Eastwood on stage with them was probably four years ago at wow. South by Southwest, maybe five years ago. Wow. But, you know, yeah. And so it's like you talking about that record is 20 years yeah. old, you know, I mean, look, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry to hear 
it, it caused a bit of tension. Um, Static, yeah. But I'm quite inspired by his integrity at the same time. Um, it's been something that I've been thinking about today and the lack of integrity in a lot of people. And as frustrating as it could be for some people at some point, you know, it's Dell's a rare character, creativity aside. And, and I love him for that. I love him for that. Yeah. Well, you know, I will say this, and we can talk about, I think is a good segue into what you were talking about as far as the second album. I think ultimately, right, that record, Cube wanted him to, the first record was what Cube wanted out of him and DJ Pooh. And, mm. and, and so they basically did the record and, and Dell likes the record, but that wasn't really what he was doing. And so a lot of his peers, when that record was done, they were like, that's not the shit we like from you. You know what I mean? And so it was all this other stuff. And so the B-sides of that first record were the ability for Dell to do what he wanted. Cube didn't care what he put on the B-side, but he was going to pick the singles and, and, you know, and Dante probably had a lot to do with it, but they were going to do it how they saw it. And Dell had wanted to do different things. He wanted to do the things that that he had been doing in his, you know, in his room with Souls of Mischief and Casual and all of them, right? And so the second album, Q basically was hands off on and just like, go ahead, do what you want. And then that's why he basically decided that I'm going to do what I've been doing, which was what Souls and what the, all those records were done at the same time. They were all done at the same time. It's 93 Till Infinity, Fear Itself, and, and No Need for Alarm were, I, I, and I've said this before, I liken it to the old CTI records, right? You know how the CTI jazz records to where Bob James had a record. It was a Bob James record. And who was playing on it? Ron Carter and, and Grover Washington Jr. and uh, Eric Gale, right? And then... Grover Washington Jr.'s record would have Bob James and Ron Carter and Idris Muhammad, whatever. And so they were all basically done by the same people, but there was a different figurehead on each record. And so that's the best way to describe how those three records were made. They were all made at the same time and we were all there together making them. You know what I mean? Like, oh, but now we're doing a casual song. Okay, now we're gonna do Adele song. Wow. You know? Wow. And so wow. and so and so but the, the, the but this the focus on the Del No Need for Alarm, I always say this, like I don't necessarily think that No Need for Alarm is that much better of a record or better at all than Dell's first record. It's a different record, right? But I think what Dell what it allowed Dell to do was he's the reason why he is where he is today is due to that record, is because I don't think that the direction of I wish my brother George would have given him longevity because Mr. Dabalina is quirky, sleeping on my couch, Dr. Bombay, they're kind of a certain thing that didn't really establish him as an a MC and an artist. And I think that the fact that he decided, okay, this second record, I'm in charge, I'm going to do what I want and I'm going to fucking wrap my ass off and show that I ain't just some get your lazy butt off my couch dude you know what I mean like and so I think it was due to that and that record didn't sell as good as the first record but it was because of that record that Dell I think had longevity that he has today is because people got to see the artistry of Dell off that record more than I think the artistry of like I think that I, I literally personally think that I wish my brother George was here has better songs per se 
good hooks, catchy, you know, even, even the stuff that wasn't singles is great stuff, man. You know, um, um, pissing on my steps and, and dark skin girls and, and, um, there's so many, um, what's the other one? Uh, oh, the rapid world of rapid transit, great stories. You know what I mean? But like, um, but I think that the second album was a little bit more artistic, which allowed people to see that Dell was more than just like, you know, defunct. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just, you know, um, I, I want to say this to you. It's, a, it's a, something I was thinking about to myself today. I'm going to mention Wu-Tang again and how much critical acclaim they got for their early run of albums mm -hmm. and the solo stuff. I'm going to go on record and say this because you've just blown my mind knowing that 93 to infinity, no need for alarm and fear itself were recorded at the same time. And that basically gives me a bit more insight as to why they're so good. The early run of Hyro albums, I think are just as good and deserve as much acclaim as the early Wu-Tang run. That's what I'm saying. Same with the bootcamp click. I can't decide which run I love better, but that No Need for Alarm album is probably, it's one of the reasons why I'm here today. When I hear Catch a Bad One, I get different. Mm -hmm. like, I get like, yeah, it's different. It's different. Love that record. Love it. Today. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of uh, comparison to us in Wu-Tang that happens just because of the crew element. You know, yeah, I think, I think, I think that, there were a lot of similarities as far as the type, like they had a lot of respect for us as MCs. We came out first, mm -hmm. you know, and so, you know, and, and, and we respected them. I think, I think the thing that they, 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 um, they, they basically were a little bit more street. And I think that probably made it a little bit more accessible. You know what I mean? But I think that, that, there is some parallels, you know what I'm saying? They obviously were significantly more, more successful, you know what I mean? But you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I think that is, you know, I take that as a compliment, obviously. And I think that they, they respect us. You know, we don't have the, the records, but lyric, as lyricists, lyricists yeah. you know what I'm saying? I don't think that there's any debate that we're on their level. I mean, yeah. the higher MCs are on the level of, of, the, of the woo MCs as far as lyrics, and they would probably say that as well. Agreed. I'm, I'm, I saw, I'm, I'm, I saw RZA in the documentary. I'm like, yep, makes sense. He, he's got to give it up. He's got to give it up. I've spoken too much. Summit. I'm going to pass the mic to you. No, just, just on that, I, um, I organised, uh, I think this is about 10 years ago now, I organised mm -hmm. a freestyle a freestyle session with Souls, mm -hmm. and UK rappers from uh, end mm -hmm. of the week. Mm -hmm. And not there was no... At no point did anyone from Souls go, we ain't going to do it. We did a Wild Pitch Records in London. Mm -hmm. in the actual store and at no point did anyone go nah there's that like, where we're doing it let's go off the dome no nothing there's no questions asked and they killed it and that that's just the kind of sentiment and the testament to to those guys um and i'm going to skip ahead on some of the question really quick because we were talking about um studio sessions and you know we're going to do this for casual and we do this for that with four mcs who are so supremely gifted are there any kind of studio sessions where with souls where like they're competing because you can tell like they're competing with each other for the best verse and you must be there just going, you must be there like, yeah, okay, this, this, you know, let's get the energy up. Are there any particular sessions where you just saw that competition come out or was it every single time they were there? Um, there was constant competition as far as, I mean, that and everyone in Hyro. Yeah. Everyone, you know, you know the term iron sharpens iron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. It's it, that that term is, it, it explains exactly. These dudes were so like, we used to, it motivate each other left and right. You know what I'm saying? 
Like, and, and, and that was pushed. I remember that was the thing that I, I, I noticed when I first was hanging out with them was how one dude would kick what he was writing and then everyone would be like to the next dude who was still writing, ooh, you better come tight. You know what I mean? Like the bars up here, you better, you better at least reach it, you know? And there was that, there was a, it was a friendly competition, but it was also, it wasn't like a competition to where we were against each other. It was like, we're working together, but we're trying to lift you up. You know what I mean? Like we're trying to inspire each other. And that even goes for the beats too, you know, but the lyrics for sure, it was like constant, I better come tight. Otherwise I'm not going to be the dude who's going to be the whack dude on this song. It was that type of attitude. Like I'm going to, you know, and so I think every song there was a certain a bar was so high that everyone knew that it was important to reach that bar at the bare minimum of every song that they did. Every song, particularly in the beginning, you know, yeah. and to where, you know, and so, yeah, man, it was, it, it, it was, it was never a time that I was like, Oh, look at them going at it. It was every time. That was the norm. You know what I mean? It was the norm. <laughs> and that goes for casual. Yeah. And you know what I mean? Everyone, and they everyone. also, when they used to re-record and everyone used to have like input on, hey, you know, you could say that better. Or what if you said this, you know? And so there was that constant, you know, prodding for everyone to get the best out of each other. And and that was great, man. That's what why the records are so good, if you ask me. Yeah, I, I, even to carry the Wu Tang references, probably the same they did there. You know what I mean? They, they, you're in the room, you want to have the best verse, you want to, you just, and it's not to compete with each other in a negative way, it's to see how can we keep pushing it, how to keep pushing it further. Make, and it makes for great music, right? It makes, it makes it for is. great it's, music. It's, it's more of, I don't want to be the weak, the weak link of this song, you know, and when somebody kicks some shit and you're like, whoa, you're like, whoa, I better. And that, that used to happen too. Cats used to rewrite shit too. I was, about to, I was just going to ask a follow-up as there like, many times where someone said something like, whoa, like we spoke to Mike Geronimo and we were talking about uh, Usual Suspects, the joint he did mm -hmm. with Lox and DMX. And, and he came in and, and when he heard Lox spit their verse and X, he was like, okay, give me 15 minutes. I'm going to go write, rewrite my verse and just kill it. So I'm assuming that happened the same with, with, uh, with Hira. Yeah, it did. It definitely I'm, I'm did. Just, I'm just sat here trying to imagine the stress. You're in the studio. You're writing a hey. verse and then you got casual Are you <laughs> whisper in your ear. Yo, you better, you better come hard. Like I can just imagine, like, I don't know that. I couldn't deal with that pressure. I would probably fold. I need to ask you, so I've got the, the seven inch here, right? The, uh -huh. On the back here, it will says management, direction, domino effect. I'm more interested in the direction. Is it direction of the, the project? Is it direction of the photography? What, what role did you play in that? Well, I was managing them. I, and, you know, basically, I was... You know, there's a producer and then there's a guy who makes beats, right? And they sometimes are the same, sometimes they're not. I think that it's fair to say that I produced all the records as far as I oversee. I was there every day. I was the glue of it all. We produced them together, right? So it wasn't just my vision. It was Soul's vision that I was part of. So we all co-produced the records. So whether or not I made the beat, or not, I was there offering input. I was the one who scheduled the studio time. I was the one who made sure that they, that they came, you know, and, and they showed up and, and, you know, and, and kind of made, you know, the one who kind of directed Matt Kelly, you know, I was pretty much the overseer of the, of, of all three of those records, you know? And, and then later on, it was, it was a role that I continued on with even more so with Third Eye Vision. In, in the Hyrule records, because 
the Souls records were their vision, right? And so I wasn't trying to push everything that I believe, but I would, they respected me enough that I, my opinions and, and, you know, we were back and forth on stuff. But the Hyro albums was the first album that I was like, this is my record too, you know? And so I was the figurehead on those for sure. And, 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 and executive producer, however term you want to make it, but I was pretty much played that role and that's just my personality within the crew is kind of the leader of the the movement we need to do this let's do this you know and and we all had mutual respect and so that um they were able you know I was able to to it wasn't like I was making them do what they wanted to do they were listening and respecting the things that I was saying and we would go back and forth on things and 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 so I guess that's the the, the term is basically I was the producer and director of of all that stuff at that time, you know, the Quincy Jones, you know, I guess is a better way of putting it. And I you know, actually made some of the beats too, but ultimately I was the, you know, the one kind of uh, overseeing it all. Dope, dope. One thing um, I've been thinking this week as well, I tell you, I, one of the reasons why I think Hyrule is so dangerous, you can go to anyone in the crew, you can get a fire verse, a fire song, or a fire beat, because most of the, like, some some of my favorite Hyro songs are produced by like, you know, Casual and A+, obviously. Yeah. As the producer, in, in you know, basically you're the overseer, what are some of your favorite Hyro songs that you didn't produce? Or that you heard, you was like, yo, that's crazy. What's your, what's your, what's your non-domino <laughs> favorites? You know, there's the one that I, that, that's my, that I always say is my favorite, uh, one that I didn't produce is, and it's a little bit more obscure. It's called That's How It Is Part Two. And it's on the B side of one of Casual's 12 inches. I think it's on the B side of his second 12 inch. Okay. And it's not the That's How It Is remix, which is really dope too. That's How It Is Part Two is a song that features Casual and A plus, right? And the beat was made by DJ Teray. And I always and they are they're so killing that song and the beat is so menacing and dope like that's the one that i always think about like man this is one of my favorite hyro songs and that's the first song that came to mind because wow. i remember being so excited when i found the multi-track to it and and i was playing the instrumental at the show you know i was uh -huh. like you guys need to kick this you know <laughs> and so it's it's kind of an obscure song but it's it was on the b side i think it was on the b side of of um of uh what's the second i didn't mean to i think it's on the b side of i didn't mean to right. and, crazy uh, remixes man like oh man like some of the dell stuff it's like your your remix your remixes are nuts like if you know if the lord smiled and just a remix compilation like your remixes are nuts i love I well love that see that that comes from again dell realizing that the b sides were his, were his chance to shine because he he didn't have control, and that's who started it, with with you know with burnt, yes. with eye examination, like those are all B sides, and wow. so I think that the, that's how that started, to where Dell was like, oh, this is my chance to do what the hell I want, and I'm really gonna shine, and then everyone else in Hyro followed suit, like we're about to have the unreleased song or the the kill remix on 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 the B side. Yeah, no, I I appreciate. It. I like I love a good remix. Love oh. Chris, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. I think we should let we should let Domino get out of here, man. 
Yeah, Mr. Domino, we appreciate your time. Um, we've kept you so long, but before we go, and I'm saying it again, just want to thank you so much for your time today. Also, thank you for your contributions to hip hop culture. Thank you mm. to, for your contributions to our lives. Um, I am a Hyrule baby. I am a Hyrule adult, and so is Sumit. <laughs> and um, God willing, my wife actually said this to me as I was watching the documentary. She <laughs> me. Hopefully, you will see us at Hyrule Day 2021. We're going to get on a plane and come out and see you guys. Let's, let's do it, man. Let's do it. I want to yeah. see you, man. Maybe you can there. do. You can do like you know a simulcast live from Oakland Hyro Day show. We are listen, listen. Let me tell you something. We are there. We we are there. And look, because we got, we got loads of other questions we'll get to you, but we'll do it another time. We'll keep, we'll have you back again. We'll have your Hyro Day. We'll do it honestly, genuinely. It's serious. I'm pulling up with a mic. Pulling. No. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it, man. You Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you, man. Thanks for all you guys do to keep keep the the culture thriving, man, and letting the the you know the uninitiated find out about things that maybe aren't on the are off the beaten path. You know what I'm saying? That's what we do. Thank you so much again. Thank you, brother. Have Take a good care. day. Take care, family. Take care, family. All right. All right. Peace. There you go, Domino. The Domino effect. Come on now. On the Breaking Atoms podcast. I don't think we should call the episode the domino effect, though. You know what I mean? People are going to be expecting that. Yeah, no, no, no. It's 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 the easy thing to do. <laughs> no, I I I've just got to say, looking back on on and listening back to it, um, what a nice guy, and 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 you can you can really understand how he almost the management and and the foundation he built and what he was part of, um, and and what has come to fruition today. He's a big part of that. Um, and I just love the fact, you know, him talking about the stories of like the competition among souls and him just being there and mm -hmm. like, like he's, he, he's plugged in a lot of gaps for us, but also just reiterated how, how legendary the Hyro crew are. But I, I keep, look, you're preaching to the choir, bro. I told you, man. I told you, I told you, man. I told you, man. Listen, next year. Breaking Atoms podcast live at High Road Day. He said it. He said, come out there. He, he said, simulcast. Now, I don't know what a simulcast is. It just sounds very, very serious. And I know that I want to do it. We could, we could easily, listen, we could do a simulcast where we, we could be here. I know we want to be there. But no, we no, 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 I'm getting on a plane. I'm getting on a plane. All right. You, listen, just do one of those robot things. Put me on an iPad. On a robot, and I'll be I'll be on the iPad. Got but, you, no doubt. We'll do that. But um, this has been a good one, uh, and we want to thank Domino, of course, for his time. Um, and it's crazy times in in America with the with the fires and and everything that's going on. Now, he took his time to to speak to us, and we we really appreciate that. But as always, you can follow us on social at Break the Atoms, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We're on every podcast platform: iHeart, Amazon. <laughs> Spotify. This is the part where I want. We need to get some um, sound effects. I don't know. Like, I, I would do. I would do the. We can't do the bomb because uh, right. Flex does it. Can't right. do the gunshots because Joe Budden does it. So I'm thinking the sound of somebody being slapped. Wow. Like, wow. Pow! That's that's aggressive. No, I'm gonna find one. <laughs> Leave it with me. Leave it with me. But no, you can find us on every podcast platform. Uh, just search Breaking Atoms. Chris, I just can't wait for the next one, man. Look, man. We're just out here, innit? Full-time Jack Moves.